RTE Podcasts present the RTE Players Complete Production of Ulysses by James Joyce, recorded in 1982. Episode 14, Oxen of the Sun. 10 p.m., 16th of June 1904, the National Maternity Hospital, Hollis Street. Send us, bright one, light one, haw-horn, quickening and womb-fruit. Send us, bright one, light one, haw-horn, quickening and womb-fruit. Send us, bright one, light one, haw-horn, quickening and womb-fruit. Whoopsa, boy a boy, whoopsa. Whoopsa, boy a boy, whoopsa. Whoopsa, boy a boy. Oopsa. Universally, that person's acumen is esteemed very little perceptive. Concerning whatsoever matters are being held as most profitably by mortals with sapience endowed to be studied, who is ignorant of that which the most indoctrinate erudite, and certainly by reason of that in them, high minds ornament, deserving of veneration, constantly maintain, when, by general consent, they affirm that, other circumstances being equal, by no exterior splendour is the prosperity of a nation more efficaciously asserted than by the measure of how far forward may have progressed the tribute of its solicitude for that proliferant continuance, which, of evils the original, if it be absent, when fortunately present, constitutes the certain sign of omnipotent nature's incorrupted benefaction. For who is there who anything of some significance has apprehended, but is conscious that that exterior splendour may be the surface of a downward-tending, lutulent reality. Or, on the contrary, any one so is there illuminated as not to perceive that, as no nature's boon can contend against the bounty of increase, so it behoves every most just citizen to become the exhortator and admonisher of his semblables, and to tremble, lest what had in the past been by the nation excellently commenced might be in the future not with similar excellence accomplished. If an inveterate habit shall have gradually traduced the honourable by ancestors transmitted customs to that thither of profundity, that that one was audacious excessively, who would have the hardihood to rise, affirming that no more odious offence can for any one be than to oblivious neglect to consign that evangel, simultaneously command and promise, which on all mortals, with prophecy of abundance or with diminution's menace, that exalted, of reiteratedly procreating function, ever irrevocably enjoined. It is not why, therefore, we shall wonder if, as the best historians relate, among the Celts, who nothing that was not in its nature admirable admired, the art of medicine shall have been highly honoured. Not to speak of hostels, leper-yards, sweating-chambers, plague-graves, their greatest doctors, the O'Shiels, the O'Hickeys, the O'Lees, have sedulously set down the divers methods by which the sick and the relapsed found again health, whether the malady had been the trembling, withering, or loose boy-connell flux. Certainly in every public work which in it anything of gravity contains, 
preparation should be with importance commensurate, and therefore a plan was by them adopted, whether by having preconsidered or as the maturation of experience, it is difficult in being said which the discrepant opinions of subsequent inquirers are not up to the present congruent to render manifest, whereby maternity was so far from all accident possibility removed that whatever care the patient in that all-hardest of woman hour chiefly required, and not solely for the copiously opulent, but also for her who, not being sufficiently moneyed, scarcely and often not even scarcely could subsist, valiantly and for an inconsiderable emolument was provided. To her nothing already, then and thenceforward, was any way able to be molestful, for this chiefly felt all citizens, except with proliferant mothers, prosperity at all not to can be, and as they had received eternity, gods, mortals, generation to befit them her beholding, when the case was so having itself, parturient in vehicle, thereward carrying desire immense among all one another, was impelling on of her to be received into that domicile. O thing of prudent nation, not merely in being seen, but also even in being related worthy of being praised, that they, her, by anticipation, went seeing mother, that she, by them suddenly to be about to be cherished, had been begun, she felt. Before born, babe bliss had, within womb one he worshipped, whatever in that one case done, commodiously done was. A couch by midwives attended with wholesome food, reposeful, clean as swaddles, as though forthbringing were now done, and by wise foresight set. But to this no less of what drugs there is need, and surgical implements, which are pertaining to her case, not omitting aspect of all very distracting spectacles, in various latitudes by our terrestrial orb, offered together with images, divine and human, the cogitation of which by sejunct females is to tumescence conducive or eases issue in the high, sunbright, well-built, fair home of mothers, when, ostensibly far gone and reproductive, it has come by her thereto to lie in her term up. Some man at wayfaring was stood by house door at night's oncoming. Of Israel's folk was that man, that on earth wandering far had fared. Stark ruth of man his errand, that him lone led till that house. Of that house a horn is lord. Seventy beds keeps he there, teeming mothers, are wont that they lie for to thole and bring forth bairns, Hail, so God's angel to Mary quoth, Watchers tway their walk, White sisters in ward sleepless, Smart they still, sickness soothing, In twelve moons thrice an hundred, Truest Bethanes they twain are, For horn holding wariest ward. In ward weary, the watcher hearing come, that man, mild-hearted, eft rising with swire e wimple to him, her gate wide undid. Lo, leaven leaping lightens in eye-blink Ireland's westward welkin. Fool she dread, that God Rica, all mankind, would fordo with water for his evil sins. Christ rude made she on breastbone, 
and him drew that he would rather infer under her thatch. That man, her will, wotting worthful, went in Horn's house. Loath to irk in Horn's hall, hat-holding, the seeker stood. On Hustow he e'er was living with dear wife and lovesome daughter, that then over land and sea-floor nine year had long outwandered. Once her in town height meeting, he to her bow had not doffed. Her to forgive now, he craved with good ground, of her allowed that that of him, swift-seen face, as so young then had looked. Light swift, her eyes kindled, bloom of blushes, his word winning. As her eyes then ungut his weed swart, therefore sorrow she feared. Glad after she was, that e'er adread was. Her he asked if O'Hare, doctor, tidings sent from far coast, and she, with grateful sigh, him answered that O'Hare, doctor, in heaven was. Sad was the man that were to hear that him so heavied in bowels rootful. All she there told him, ruing death for friend so young, I'll get sore, unwilling, God's right wiseness to withstay. She said that he had a fair sweet death through God his goodness, with mass priest to be shriven, holy housel, and sick men's oil to his limbs. The man then, right earnest, asked the nun of which death the dead man was died. And the nun answered him, and said that he was died in Mona Island, through belly crab, three year agone come Childermas, and she prayed to God the all rootful to have his dear soul in his undeathliness. He heard her sad words, inhaled hat sad staring. So stood they there both a while. In one hope, sorrowing one with other. Therefore, every man, look to that last end, that is thy death, and the dust that gripeth on every man that is born of woman. For as he came naked forth from his mother's womb, so naked shall he wend him at the last, for to go as he came. The man that was come into the house then spoke to the nursing woman, and he asked her how it fared with the woman that lay there in childbed. The nursing woman answered him and said that that woman was in throes now full three days, and that it would be a hard birth, uneath to bear, but that now in a little it would be. She said there too that she had seen many births of women, but never was none so hard as was that woman's birth. Then she set it forth all to him, that time was, had lived nigh that house. The man hearkened to her words, for he felt with wonder, women's woe and the travail that they have of motherhood. And he wondered to look on her face, that was a young face for any man to see. But yet was she left after long years a handmaid. 
Nine, twelve blood flows, chiding her childless. And while they spake, the door of the castle was opened, and there nighed them a mickle noise, as of many that sat there at meat. And there came against the place as they stood, a young learning knight declept Dixon. And the traveller Leopold was couth to him, sithen it had happed that they had had ado each with other in the house of misericord, where this learning knight lay, because the traveller Leopold came there to be healed, for he was sore wounded in his breast by a spear wherewith a horrible and dreadful dragon was smitten him, for which he did do make a salve of volatile salt and chrism as much as he might suffice. And he said now that he should go into that castle for to make merry with them that were there. And the traveller Leopold said that he should go other whither, for he was a man of cortles and a subtle. Also the lady was of his avis, and reproved the learning knight, though she trowed well that the traveller had said thing that was false for his subtility. But the learning knight would not hear say nay, nor do her mandament, nay have him in aught contrarious to his list. And he said how it was a marvellous castle, and the traveller Leopold went into the castle for to rest him for a space, being sore of limb after many marches, environing in divers lands, and sometimes venery. And in the castle was set a board that was of the birchwood of Finlandy, and it was upheld by four dwarf men of that country, but they durst not move more for enchantment. And on this board were frightful swords and knives that are made in a great cavern by swinking demons, out of white flames that they fix in the horns of buffaloes and stags that there abound marvellously. And there were vessels that are wrought by magic of Mahound, out of sea-sand and the air, by a warlock with his breath that he blares into them like to bubbles. And full fair cheer and rich was on the board, that no wight could devise a fuller ne richer. And there was a vat of silver that was moved by craft to open, in the which lay strange fishes without an heads. Though misbelieving men nigh that this be possible thing without they see it, natheless they are so. And these fishes lie in an oily water brought there from Portugal land, because of the fatness that therein is like to the juices of the olive press. And also it was marvel to see in that castle how by magic they make a compost out of fecund wheat kidneys out of Chaldee that by aid of certain angry spirits that they do into it swells up wondrously like to a vast mountain and they teach the serpents there to entwine themselves up on long sticks out of the ground and of the scales of these serpents they brew out a brewage like to mead and the learning knight let pour for child Leopold a draught, and halp thereto the while all they that were there, drank every each. And child Leopold did up his beaver for to pleasure him, and took a pertly, somewhat in amity, for he never drank no manner of mead, which he then put by, and anon full privily he voided the more part in his neighbour glass, and his neighbour wist not of his while. And he sat down in that castle with them, for to rest him there a while. Thanked be Almighty God. This meanwhile, this good sister stood by the door, 
and begged them at the reverence of Jesu, our alter liege lord, to leave their wassailing, for there was above one quick with child, a gentle dame, whose time hide fast. Sir Leopold heard on the up-floor cry on high, and he wondered what cry that it was, whether of child or woman. And I marvel, said he, that it be not come more now. Meseems it dureth over long. And he was where? and saw a Franklin that hight Lenehan on that side the table, that was older than any of the t'other, and for that they both were knights virtuous in the one emprise, and eke by cause that he was elder, he spoke to him full gently. But, said he, or it be long too, she will bring forth by God his bounty, and have joy of her childing, for she hath waited marvellous long. And the Franklin that had drunken said, expecting each moment to be her next, also he took the cup that stood tofore him, for him needed never none asking nor desiring of him to drink. And now drink, said he, fully delectably, and he quaffed as far as he might to their both's health, for he was a passing good man of his lustiness. And Sir Leopold, that was the goodliest guest that ever sat in Scholar's Hall, and that was the meekest man and the kindest that ever laid husbandly hand under hen, and that was the very truest knight of the world, one that ever did minion service to lady gentle, pledged him courtly in the cup, woman's woe with wonder pondering. Now let us speak of that fellowship that was there to the intent to be drunken, and they might. There was a sort of scholars along either side the board, that is, to wit, Dixon Eclept Junior of St. Mary Merciables, with his other fellows Lynch and Madden, scholars of medicine, and the Franklin that hight Lenehan, and one from Alba Longa, one Carruthers, and young Stephen that had mien of a freer that was at head of the board, and Costello, that men clep and punch Costello, all long of a mastery of him erewhile guested. And of all them reserved young Stephen, he was the most drunken, that demanded still of more mead, and beside the meek Sir Leopold. But on young Malachy they waited, for that he promised to have come, and such as intended to know goodness said how he had broke his avow. And Sir Leopold sat with them, for he bore fast friendship to Sir Simon, and to this his son young Stephen, and for that his languor becalmed him, there after longest wanderings, insomuch as they feasted him for that time in the honourablest manner. Ruth read him, love led on with will to wander, loath to leave. For they were right witty scholars, and he heard there are sounds each gen other as touching birth and righteousness, young Madden maintaining that put such case it were hard the wife to die, for so it had fallen out a matter of some year agone with a woman of a blarner in Horn's house that now was trespassed out of this world, and the self night next before her death all leeches and pothecaries had taken counsel of her case. And they said, Father, she should live, because in the beginning they said the woman should bring forth in pain. And wherefore they that were of this imagination affirmed how young Madden had said truth, for he had conscience to let her die. And not few, and of these was young Lynch, were in doubt that the world was now right evil governed, as it was never other, howbeit the mean people believed it otherwise. But the law nor his judges did provide no remedy, a redress, God grant. This was scant said, but all cried with one acclaim, nay, by our virgin mother, the wife should live and the babe to die. In colour whereof they waxed hot upon that head, what with argument, and what for their drinking, 
but the Franklin Lenehan was prompt each when to pour them ale, so that at the least way mirth might not lack. Then young Madden showed all the whole affair, and when he said how that she was dead, and how for holy religion's sake, by read of Palmer and Beadsman, and for a vow he had made to St. Ulton of Abrakan, her goodman husband would not let her death, whereby they were all wondrous grieved. To whom young Stephen had these words following, Murmur, sirs, is eke oft among lay folk. Both babe and parent now glorify their maker, the one in limbo gloom, the other in purge fire. But, gramercy, what of those God-possible souls that we nightly impossibilize, which is the sin against the Holy Ghost, very God, Lord, and giver of life? For, sirs, he said, our lust is brief. We are means to those small creatures within us, and nature has other ends than we. Then said Dixon Jr. to Punch Costello, Whist he what ends? But he had overmuch drunken, and the best word he could have of him was that he would ever dishonest a woman, whoso she were, or wife, or maid, or leeman, if it so fortuned him to be delivered of his spleen of lusty head. Whereat Crothers of Alba Longa sang young Malachy's praise of that beast the unicorn, how once in the millennium he cometh by his horn, the other all this while pricked forward their jibes wherewith they did malice him, witnessing all, and several by St. Futinus's engines, that he was able to do any manner of thing that lay in man to do. Thereat laughed they all right jocundly, only young Stephen and Sir Leopold, which never durst laugh too open by reason of a strange humour which he would not be ray, and also for that he rude for her that bear whoso she might be or wheresoever. Then spoke young Stephen Orgulus of Mother Church that would cast him out of her bosom, of lore of canons, of Lilith, patron of abortions, of bigness wrought by wind of seeds of brightness, or by potency of vampires mouth to mouth, or, as Virgilius saith, by the influence of the Occident, or by the reek of moonflower, or, and she lie with a woman which a man has but lain with, effectu secuto, or peradventure in her bath, according to the opinions of Averroes and Moses Maimonides. He said also how at the end of the second month the human soul was infused, and how in all a holy mother foldeth ever souls for God's greater glory, as that earthly mother, which was but a dam to bring forth beastly, should die by cannon. For so saith he that holdeth the fisherman's seal, even that blessed Peter on which rock was holy church for all ages founded. All they bachelors then asked of Sir Leopold, would he in like case so jeopard her person as risk life to save life? A weariness of mind he would answer, as fitted all, and laying hand to jaw he said dissembling, as his wont was, that as it was informed him, who had ever loved the art of physic as might a layman, and agreeing also with his experience of so seldom seen an accident, it was good for that mother church belike at one blow had birth and death pence, and in such sort delivery he skipped their questions. That is truth, pardy, said Dixon, and or I err a pregnant word. Which hearing young Stephen was a marvellous glad man, and he averred that he who stealeth from the poor lendeth to the Lord, for he was of a wild manner when he was drunken, 
and that he was now in that taking it up he had left soons. But Sir Leopold was passing grave, maugre his word, by cause he still had pity of the terror-causing shrieking of shrill women in their labour, and as he was minded of his good lady Marian, that had borne him an only man-child, which on his eleventh day on labour died, and no man of art could save, so dark his destiny. And she was wondrous stricken of heart for that evil hap, and for his burial did him on a fair corselet of lamb's wool, the flower of the flock, lest he might perish utterly and lie a-keeled, for it was then about the midst of the winter. And now Sir Leopold, that had of his body no man-child for an heir, looked upon him, his friend's son, and was shut up in sorrow for his forepast happiness, and as sad as he was that him failed a son of such gentle courage, for all accounted him of real parts. So grieved he also in no less measure for young Stephen, for that he lived riotously with those wastrels and murdered Eddie's goods with whores. About that present time, young Stephen filled all cups that stood empty, so as there remained but little more, if the prudenter had not shadowed their approach from him that still plied it very busily, who, praying for the intentions of the sovereign pontiff, he gave them for a pledge the vicar of Christ, which also, as he said, is vicar of Bray. Now drink we, quoth he, of this mazer, and quaff ye this mead, which is not indeed parcel of my body, but my soul's bodiment. Leave ye a fraction of bread to them that live by bread alone. Be not afeard neither for any want, for this will comfort more than the other will dismay. See ye here. And he showed them glistering coins of the tribute, and goldsmith's notes the worth of two pound nineteen shilling that he had, he said, for a song which he writ. They all admired to see the foresaid riches in such dearth of money as was here before. His words were then these as followeth. Know all men, he said, times, ruins, build eternity's mansions. What means this? Desires wind blasts the thorn-tree, but after it becomes from a bramble-bush to be a rose upon the rood of time. Mark me now. In woman's womb, word is made flesh, but in the spirit of the maker, all flesh that passes becomes the word that shall not pass away. This is the post-creation. Omnis caro ad te veniet. No question but her name is Puissant, who haven't tried the dear course of our Agenbuyer, healer and herd, our mighty mother and mother most venerable. And Bernardo saith aptly that she hath an omnipotentium de pare supplicem, that is, to wit, an almightiness of petition, because she is the second Eve, and she won us, saith Augustine, too, whereas that other, our grandam, which we are linked up with by successive anastomosis of naval cords, sold us all, seed, breed, and generation, for a penny pippin. But here is the matter now. Or she knew him, that second, I say, and was but creature of her creature, Vergine Madre Filia di tuo Figlio, or she knew him not, and then stands she in the one denial or ignorancy with Peter Piscato, who lives in the house that Jack built, and with Joseph the Joiner, patron of the happy demise of all unhappy marriages, parce que Monsieur Leo Taxil nous a dit que qu'il avait mis dans cette fichue position, c'était le sacré pigeon ventre de Dieu. Ain't they there? Transubstantiality, odor consubstantiality, 
but in no case sub-substantiality. And all cried out upon it for a very scurvy word. A pregnancy without joy, he said. A birth without pangs. A body without blemish. A belly without bigness. Let the lewd with faith and fervor worship. With will will we withstand, with say. Hereupon Punch Costello dinged with his fist upon the board, and would sing a bawdy catch, Stabu Stabella, about a wench that was put in pod of a jolly swashbuckler in Almany, which he did now attack. The first three months she was not well, Stabu. When here Nurse Quigley from the door angrily bid them hiss, ye should shame you. Nor was it not meet, as she remembered them, being her mind was to have all orderly against Lord Andrew came. For because she was jealous that no gasteful turmoil might shorten the honour of her guard. It was an ancient and a sad matron of a sedate look and Christian walking, in habit done, beseeming her megrims and wrinkled visage. Nor did her hortative want of its effect, for incontinently Punch Costello was of them all embraided, and they reclaimed the churl with civil rudeness some, and with menace of blandishments others, whiles all chode with him. A murrain seized the dolt. What a devil he would be at, thou chuff, thou puny, thou gotten the peas straw, thou losel, thou chitterling, thou spawn of a rebel, thou dyke-dropped, thou abortion thou, to shut up his drunken drool out of that like a curse of God ape, the good Sir Leopold, that had for his cognizance the flower of quiet. Marjorie gentle, advising also the time's occasion as most sacred, and most worthy to be most sacred. In Horn's house, rest should reign. To be short, this passage was scarce by, when Master Dixon of Mary and Eccles, goodly grinning, asked young Stephen what was the reason why he had not sided to take Friar's vows. And he answered him, Obedience in the womb, chastity in the tomb, but involuntary poverty all his days. Master Lenehan at this made return that he had heard of those nefarious deeds, and how, as he heard hereof counted, he had besmirched the lily virtue of a confiding female, which was corruption of minors, and they all intershowed it too, waxing merry and toasting to his fathership. But he said very entirely, it was clean contrary to their suppose, for he was the eternal son and ever virgin. Thereat mirth grew in them the more, and they rehearsed to him his curious rite of wedlock for the disrobing and deflowering of spouses, as the priests use in Madagascar Island. She to be in guise of white and saffron, her groom in white and grain, with burning of nard and tapers, on a bride-bed, while clocks sung curies and the anthem Ut noveta sexus omnis corporis mysterium, till she was there unmaided. He gave them then a much admirable hymen minim, by those delicate poets Master John Fletcher and Master Francis Beaumont, that is in their maid's tragedy, that was writ for a light twining of lovers. To bed, to bed, was the burden of it, to be played with accompanable consent upon the virginals. An exquisite dulcet epithalame of most mollificate of suadency for juveniles amatory, whom the odoriferous flambeaux of the paranymphs have escorted to the quadrupedal proscenium of connubial communion. Well met they were, said Master Dixon, joyed, 
But harkee, young sir, better were they named Beaumont and Letcher, for by my troth of such a mingling much might come. Young Stephen said, indeed, to his best remembrance, they had but the one doxy between them, and she of the stews, to make shift with in delights amorous, for life ran very high in those days, and the custom of the country approved with it. Greater love than this, he said, no man hath, that a man lay down his wife for his friend. Go thou and do likewise. Thus, or words to that effect, said Zarathustra, sometime Regius Professor of French Letters to the University of Oxtail, nor breathed there ever that man to whom mankind was more beholden. Bring a stranger within thy tower, it will go hard, but thou wilt have the second best bed. Orate fratres pro memetipso, and all the people shall say Amen. Remember, Aaron, thy generations and thy days of old, how thou settest little by me and by my word, and broughtest in a stranger to my gates to commit fornication in my sight, and to wax fat and kick like Jeshurum. Therefore hast thou sinned against the light, and hast made me thy lord to be the slave of servants. Return, return, clan Milly, forget me not, O Milesian. Why hast thou done this abomination before me, that thou didst spurn me for a merchant of jallops, and didst deny me to the Roman and the Indian of dark speech, with whom thy daughters did lie luxuriously? Look forth now, my people, upon the land of behest, even from Horeb, and from Nebo, and from Pisgah, and from the horns of Hatton, unto a land flowing with milk and money. But thou hast suckled me with a bitter milk, my moon and my sun thou hast quenched for ever, and thou hast left me alone for ever in the dark ways of my bitterness, and with a kiss of ashes hast thou kissed my mouth. This tenebrosity of the interior, he proceeded to say, hath not been illumined by the wit of the Septuagint, nor so much as mentioned for the Orient from on high which break hell's gates, visited a darkness that was foraneous. Assuefaction, minorates atrocities, as Tully saith of his darling Stoics, and Hamlet his father showeth the prince no blister of combustion. The adiaphane in the noon of life is an Egypt's plague, which in the nights of prenativity and post-mortemity is their most proper ubi and quomodo. And as the ends and ultimates of all things accord in some mean and measure with their inceptions and originals, that same multiplicit concordance which leads forth growth from birth, accomplishing by a retrogressive metamorphosis that minishing and ablation towards the final which is agreeable unto nature, so is it with our subsolar being. The aged sisters draw us into life, we wail, batten, sport, clip, clasp, sunder, dwindle, die. Over us dead they bend. First saved from water of old Nile, among bulrushes, a bed of fasciated wattles. At last, the cavity of a mountain, an occulted sepulchre amid the conclamation of the hill-cat and the ossifrage. And as no man knows the ubicity of his tumulus, nor to what processes we shall thereby be ushered, nor whether to Tophet or to Edenville, 
in the like way is all hidden when we would backward see from what region of remoteness the whatness of our whoness hath fetched his whenceness. Thereto Punch Costello roared out mainly, Etienne, chanson! But he loudly bid them, Lo, wisdom hath built herself a house, this vast, majestic, long-established vault, the crystal palace of the creator, all in apple pie order, a penny for him who finds the pea. Behold the mansion reared by Deedle Jack, see the malt stored in many a refluent sack, in the proud cirque of Jack John's bivouac. A black crack of noise in the street here, a lack bold back. Loud on left, four thundered, in anger awful, the hammer hurler. Came now the storm that hissed his heart, and Master Lynch bade him have a care to flout and wit wanton as the god's self was angered for his hell prate and paganry. And he that had erst challenged to be so doughty waxed pale as they might all mark, and shrank together, and his pitch that was before so hot uplift was now of a sudden quite plucked down, and his heart shook within the cage of his breast as he tasted the rumour of that storm. Then did some mock, and some jeer, and Punch Costello fell hard again to his yale, which Master Linehan vowed he would do after. And he was indeed but a word and a blow on any the least colour. But the braggart boaster cried that an old nobodaddy was in his cups, it was much what indifferent, and he would not lag behind his lead. But this was only to die his desperation, as cowed he crouched in Horn's Hall. He drank indeed at one draught to pluck up a heart of any grace, for it thundered long, rumblingly, over all the heavens, so that Master Madden, being godly certain whiles, knocked him on his ribs upon that crack of doom, and Master Bloom, at the braggart's side, spoke to him calming words to slumber his great fear, advertising how it was no other thing but a hubbub noise that he heard, the discharge of fluid from the thunderhead look you having taken place, and all of the order of a natural phenomenon. But was young Boasthard's fear vanquished by Karma's words? No, for he had in his bosom a spike named bitterness, which could not by words be done away. And was he then neither calm like the one, nor godly like the other? He was neither, as much as he would have liked to be either, but could he not have endeavoured to have found again, as in his youth, the bottle holiness, that then he lived with all? Indeed not, for grace was not there to find that bottle. Heard he then in that clap the voice of the god bring forth, or what Karma said, a hubbub of phenomenon? Heard? Why, he could not but hear, unless he had plugged up the tube understanding, which he had not done. For through that tube he saw that he was in the land of phenomenon, where he must for a certain one day die, as he was like the rest too, a passing show. And would he not accept to die like the rest and pass away? By no means would he, 
and make more shows according as men do with wives, which phenomenon has commanded them to do by the book law. Then what did he not of that other land which is called Believe on Me? That is the land of promise which behoves to the king delightful, and shall be for ever, where there is no death and no birth, neither wiving nor mothering, at which all shall come as many as believe on it? Yes, Pius had told him of that land, and Chaste had pointed him to the way, but the reason was that in the way he fell in with a certain whore of an eye-pleasing exterior, whose name, she said, is Bird in the Hand, and she beguiled him wrong ways from the true path by her flatteries, that she said to him as, Ho, you pretty man, turn aside hither, and I will show you a brave place. And she lay at him so flatteringly, that she had him in her grot, which is named Two in the Bush, or by some learned, carnal concupiscence. This was it. What all that company that sat there at commons in manse of mothers, the most lusted after, and if they met with this whore bird in the hand, which was within all foul plagues, monsters, and a wicked devil, they would strain the last, but they would make at her and know her. For regarding believe on me, they said it was naught else but notion, and they could conceive no thought of it, for first, two in the bush, whither she ticed them, was the very goodliest grot, and in it were four pillows, on which were four tickets, with these words printed on them, pickaback and topsy-turvy, and shameface and cheek by jowl, and second, for that foul plague all pox, and the monsters they cared not for them, for preservative had given them a stout shield of oxen gut, and third, that they might take no hurt neither from offspring, that was that wicked devil by virtue of this same shield which was named Killchild. So were they all in their blind fancy, Mr. Cavill and Mr. Sometimes Godly, Mr. Ape Swillale, Mr. False Franklin, Mr. Dainty Dixon, Young Boasthard, and Mr. Cautious Karma. Wherein, O wretched company, were ye all deceived? For that was the voice of the god that was in a very grievous rage, that he would presently lift his arm and spill their souls for their abuses and their spillings done by them contrariwise to his word, which forth to bring Brenningly biddeth. So, Thursday, 16th June, Patrick Dignam laid in clay of an apoplexy, and, after hard drought, please God, rained. A bargeman coming in by water, a fifty mile or thereabout with turf, saying the seed won't sprout. Fields athirst, very sad-coloured, and stung mightily. The quags and tofts, too. Hard to breathe, and all the young quicks clean-consumed without sprinkle this long while back as no man remembered to be without. The rosy buds all gone brown and spread out blobs, and on the hills naught but dry flag and faggots that would catch at first fire. All the world saying, for aught they knew, the big wind of last February, the year that did havoc the land so pitifully, a small thing beside this barrenness. 
But by and by, as said this evening after sundown, the wind sitting in the west, biggish swollen clouds to be seen as the night increased, and the weather-wise pouring up at them, and some sheet lightnings at first and after, past ten of the clock. One great stroke with a long thunder, and did a brace of shakes all scupper pell-mell within door for the smoking shower. The men making shelter for their straws with a clout or kerchief. Women folks skipping off with kirtles catched up soon as the poor came. In Eli Place, Baggot Street, Duke's Lawn, thence through Merrion Green up to Hollis Street, a swash of water running that was before bone dry, and not one chair or coach or fiacre seen about. But no more crack after that first. Over against the right on Mr. Justice Fitzgibbon's door, that is to sit with Mr. Healy, the lawyer, upon the college lands, Mal Mulligan, a gentleman's gentleman, that had but come from Mr. Moore's, the writer's, that was a papish, but he's now, folks say, a good Williamite, chanced against Alec Bannon in a cut-bob, which are now in with dance-cloaks of Kendall Green, that was new got to town from Mullingar with the stage, where his cause and Malem's brother will stay a month yet, till St. Swithin, and asks what in the earth he does there. He bound home, and he to Andrew Horns, being stayed for to crush a cup of wine, so he said, but would tell him of a skittish heifer, big of her age, and beef to the heel, and all this while poured with rain, and so both together on to Horns. There, Leop Bloom of Crawford's Journal, sitting snug with a covey of wags, likely brangling fellows, Dixon Jr., scholar of my lady of mercy, Vin Lynch, a Scots fellow, Will Madden, T. Lenehan, very sad for a racing horse he fancied, and Stephen D., Leop Bloom there for a languor he had but was now better, he having dreamed to-night of a strange fancy of his dame, Mrs. Moll, with red slippers on, in a pair of turkey trunks, which is thought by those in ken to be for a change. And Mistress Purefoy there, that got in through pleading her belly, and now on the stools, poor body. Two days past her term, the midwife saw put to it at cod deliver. She, queasy for a bowl of rice slop that is a shrewd dryer up of the insides, had her breath very heavy more than good, and should be a bully boy from the knocks, they say, but God give a soon issue. "'Tis her ninth chick to live, I hear, "'and Lady Day bit off her last chick's nails "'that was then a twelve-month, "'and with other three all breast-fed that died, "'written out in a fair hand in the King's Bible. "'Her hub, fifty-odd and a Methodist, "'but takes the sacrament, "'and is to be seen any fair Sabbath "'with a pair of his boys off Bullock Harbour "'dapping on the sound with a heavy-braked reel, or in a punt he has, training for flounder and pollock, and catches a fine bag, I hear. In sum, an infinite great fall of rain, and all refreshed, and will much increase the harvest, yet those in ken say after wind and water, fire shall come, for a prognostication of Malachy's almanac, and I hear that Mr. Russell has done a prophetical charm of the same gist out of the Hindustanish for his farmer's gazette, to have three things in all, but this a mere fetch without bottom of reason for old crones and bairns. 
"'Yet sometimes they are found in the right guess with their queerities. "'No telling how.' "'With this came up Lenehan to the feet of the table "'to say how the letter was in that night's gazette, "'and he made a show to find it about him, "'for he swore with an oath that he had been at pains about it. "'But on Stephen's persuasion he gave over to search "'and was bidden to sit near by which he did mighty brisk.' He was a kind of sport gentleman that went for a merry andrew or honest pickle, and what belonged of women, horse flesh, or hot scandal, he added pat. To tell the truth, he was mean in fortunes, and for the most part anchored about the coffee houses and low taverns, with crimps, ostlers, bookies, poorsmen, runners, flat caps, weskiteers, ladies of the barrio, and other rogues of the game, or with a chanceable catchpole or a tip staff often at nights till broad day, of whom he picked up between his sack possets much loose gossip. He took his ordinary at a boiling cook's, and if he had but gotten into him a mess of broken victuals or a platter of tripes with a bare tester in his purse, he could always bring himself off with his tongue some randy quip he had from a punk or what not that every mother son of him would burst their sides. The other, Costello, that is, hearing this talk, asked... "'Was it poetry or a tale?' "'Faith, no,' he says, Frank.' "'That was his name. "'Tis all about Kerry cows that are to be butchered along of a plague.' "'But they could go hang,' says he with a wink, "'for me with a bully beef, a pox on it. "'There's as good fish in this tin as ever came out of it, "'and very friendly he offered to take off some salty sprats that stood by, "'which he had eyed wishly in the meantime.' and found the place which was indeed the chief design of his embassy, as he was sharp-set. Mort au vache, says Frank Venn in the French language, that had been indentured to a brandy-shipper that has a wine-lodge in Bordeaux, and he spoke French like a gentleman too. From a child this Frank had been a do-not, that his father, a Edborough, who could ill-keep him to school to learn his letters at the use of the globes, matriculated at the university to study the mechanics, but he took the bit between his teeth like a raw colt and was more familiar with the justiciary and the parish beadle than with his volumes. One time he would be a play-actor, then a soupler or a welsher, then naught would keep him from the bear-pit and the cocking-man. Then he was for the ocean sea or to hoof it on the roads with the Romany folk, kidnapping a squire's heir by favour of moonlight or fecking maid's linen, or choking chickens behind a hedge. He had been off as many times as a cat has lives, and back again with naked pockets as many more, to his father, the Edborough, who shed a pint of tears as often as he saw him. What, says Mr. Leopold with his hands across, that was earnest to know the drift of it, will they slaughter all? I protest I saw them but this day morning going to the Liverpool boat, says he, I can scarce believe to so bad, says he. And he had experience of the like brood beasts and of springers, greasy yoghurts and weather wools, having been some years before actually for Mr. Joseph Cuff, a worthy salesmaster that drove his trade for livestock and meadow auctions hard by Mr. Gavin Lowe's yard in Prussia Street. I question with you there, says he. Mort is like the hoos of the timber tongue. Mr. Stephen, a little moved but very handsomely, told him no such matter, 
and that he had dispatches from the Emperor's chief tail-tickler thanking him for the hospitality that was sending over Dr. Rinderpest, the best-quoted cow-catcher in all Muscovy, with a bolus or two of physic to take the bull by the horns. Come, come, says Mr. Vincent, plain dealing. He'll find himself on the horns of a dilemma if he meddles with a bull that's Irish, says he. Irish by name and Irish by nature, says Mr. Stephen. And he sent the ale pulling about. An Irish bull in an English china shop. I conceive you, says Mr. Dixon. It is that same bull that was sent to our island by Farmer Nicholas, the bravest cattle breeder of them all, with an emerald ring in his nose. True for you, says Mr. Vincent, cross the table, and a bull's eye into the bargain, says he, and a plumper and a portlier bull, says he, never shit on shamrock. He'd horns galore, a coat of gold, and a sweet, smoky breath coming out of his nostrils, so that the women of our island, leaving dough balls and rolling pins, followed after him, hanging his bulliness in daisy chains. What for that, says Mr. Dixon. But before he came over, Farmer Nicholas, that was a eunuch, had him properly gelded by a college of doctors, who were no better off than himself. So be off now, says he, and do all my cousin German the Lord Harry tells you, and take a farmer's blessing, and with that, he slapped his posteriors very soundly. But the slap and the blessing stood him friend, says Mr. Vincent, for to make up he taught him a trick worth two of the others, so that maid, wife, abbess and widow to this day affirmed that they would rather any time of the month whisper in his ear in the dark of a cowhouse or get a lick on the nape from his long, holy tongue than lie with the finest strapping young ravisher in the four fields of all Ireland. Another then put in his word. And they dressed him, says he, in a point shift and petticoat with a tippet and girdle and ruffles on his wrists and clipped his forelock and rubbed him all over with spermacetic oil and built stables for him at every turn of the road with a gold manger in each full of the best hay in the market so that he could doss and dung to his heart's content. By this time the father of the faithful, for so they called him, was grown so heavy that he could scarce walk to pasture, to remedy which our cozening dames and damsels brought him his fodder in their apron laps, and as soon as his belly was full, he would rear up on his hind quarters to show their ladyships a mystery, and roar and bellow out of him in bull's language, and they all after him. Aye, says another, and so pampered was he that he would suffer naught to grow in all the land but green grass for himself, for that was the only colour to his mind. And there was a board put up on a hillock in the middle of the island with a printed notice saying, By the Lord Harry, green is the grass that grows on the ground. And, says Mr. Dixon, if ever he got scent of a cattle raider in Roscommon or the wilds of Connemara or a husbandman in Sligo that was sowing as much as a handful of mustard or a bag of rapeseed, out he run amuck over half the countryside, rooting up with his horns whatever was planted, and all by Lord Harry's orders. There was bad blood between them at first, says Mr. Vincent, and the Lord Harry called Farmer Nicholas all the old nicks in the world, and an old whore-master that kept seven trolls in his house, and I'll meddle in his matter, says he. I'll make that animal smell hell, says he, 
with the help of that good pizzle my father left me. But one evening, says Mr. Dixon, when the Lord Harry was cleaning his royal pelt to go to dinner after winning a boat race, he'd spade oars for himself, but the first rule of the course was that the others were to row with pitchforks. He discovered in himself a wonderful likeness to a bull, and on picking up a black-thumbed chapbook that he kept in the pantry, he found sure enough that he was a left-handed descendant of the famous champion bull of the Romans, Boss Bovum, which is good bog Latin for boss of the show. After that, says Mr. Vincent, the Lord Harry put his head into a cow's drinking trough in the presence of all his courtiers, and pulling it out again, told them all his new name. Then, with the water running off him, he got into an old smock and skirt that had belonged to his grandmother and bought a grammar of the bull's language to study, but he could never learn a word of it except the first personal pronoun, which he copied out big and got off by heart, and if ever he went out for a walk, he filled his pockets with chalk to write it up on what took his fancy. The side of a rock, or a tea-house table, or a bale of cotton, or a cork float. In short... He and the Bull of Ireland were soon as fast friends as an arse and a shirt. They were, says Mr. Stephen, and the end was that the men of the island, seeing no help was toward, as the ungrate women were all of one mind, made a wherry raft, loading themselves and their bundles of chattels on shipboard, set all masts erect, manned the yards, sprang their luff, heaved to, spread three sheets in the wind, put her head between wind and water, weighed anchor, ported her helm, ran up the Jolly Roger, gave three times three, let the bulgeen run, pushed off in their bumboat and put to sea to recover the main of America. Which was the occasion, says Mr. Vincent, of the composing by a boatswain of that rollicking chanty, Pope Peter's but to piss a bed, a man's a man for all that. Our worthy acquaintance, Mr. Malachy Mulligan, now appeared in the doorway, as the students were finishing their epilogue, accompanied with a friend whom he had just rencountered, a young gentleman, his name Alec Bannon, who had late come to town it being his intention to buy a colour or a cornetcy in the fencibles, and list for the wars. Mr. Mulligan was civil enough to express some relish of it, all the more as it jumped with a project of his own, for the cure of the very evil that had been touched on. Whereat he handed round to the company a set of pasteboard cards, which he had had printed that day at Mr. Quinnell's, bearing a legend printed in fair italics. Mr. Malachy Mulligan... Fertiliser and Incubator, Lambay Island. His project, as he went on to expound, was to withdraw from the round of idle pleasures, such as formed the chief business of Sir Fopling Poppinjay and Sir Milksop Quidnunk in town, and to devote himself to the noblest task for which our bodily organism has been framed. Well, let us hear of it, good my friend, said Mr. Dixon. I make no doubt it smacks of wenching. Come, be seated, both. Tis as cheap sitting as standing. Mr. Mulligan accepted of the invitation, and, expatiating on his design, told his hearers that he had been led into this thought by a consideration of the causes of sterility, both the inhibitory and the prohibitory, whether the inhibition in its turn were due to conjugal vexations or to a parsimony of the balance as well as whether the prohibition proceeded from defects congenital or from proclivities acquired. It grieved him plaguely, he said, to see the nuptial couch defrauded of its dearest pledges, 
and to reflect upon so many agreeable females with rich jointures, a prey for the vilest bonzes who hide their flambeau under a bushel in an uncongenial cloister, or lose their womanly bloom in the embraces of some unaccountable muskin, when they might multiply the inlets of happiness, sacrificing the inestimable jewel of their sex, when a hundred pretty fellows were at hand to caress. This, he assured them, made his heart weep. To curb this inconvenience, which he concluded, due to a suppression of latent heat, having advised with certain counsellors of worth and inspected into this matter, he had resolved to purchase in fee simple for ever the freehold of Lambay Island from its holder, Lord Talbot de Malahide, a Tory gentleman of note, much in favour with our ascendancy party. He proposed to set up there a national fertilising farm, to be named Omphalos, with an obelisk hewn and erected after the fashion of Egypt, and to offer his dutiful yeoman services for the fecundation of any female of what grade of life soever who should there direct to him with the desire of fulfilling the functions of her natural. Money was no object, he said, nor would he take a penny for his pains. The poorest kitchen wench, no less than the opulent lady of fashion, if so be their constructions, and their tempers were warm persuaders for their petitions, would find in him their man. For his nutriment he showed how he would feed himself exclusively upon a diet of savoury tubercles and fish and conies there, the flesh of these latter prolific rodents being highly recommended for his purpose, both broiled and stewed with a blade of mace and a pod or two of capsicum chilies. After this homily, which he delivered with much warmth of asseveration, Mr. Mulligan in a trice put off from his hat a kerchief with which he had shielded it. They both, it seems, had been overtaken by the rain, and for all their mending their pace had taken water, as might be observed by Mr. Mulligan's small clothes of a hodden grey, which was now somewhat piebald. His project, meanwhile, was very favourably entertained by his auditors, and won hearty eulogies from all. Though Mr. Dixon of Mary's accepted to it, asking, with a finicking air, did he purpose also to carry coals to Newcastle? Mr. Mulligan, however, made court to the scholarly by an apt quotation from the classics, which, as it dwelt upon his memory, seemed to him a sound and tasteful support of his contention. Talis ac tanta depravatio huius seculi, o quiritis, ut matris familiarum nostri lascivus cuius libit semiviri libici titillationis testibus ponderosis, Adque excelsis erectionibus centurionum romanorum magnopre anteponunt. While for those of ruder wit, he drove home his point by analogies of the animal kingdom, more suitable to their stomach, the buck and doe of the forest glade, the farmyard drake and duck. Valuing himself not a little upon his elegance, being indeed a proper man of his person, this talkative now applied himself to his dress with animadversions of some heat upon the sudden whimsy of the atmospherics, while the company lavished their encomiums upon the project he had advanced. The young gentleman, his friend, overjoyed as he was at a passage that had befallen him, could not forbear to tell it his nearest neighbour. Mr. Mulligan, now perceiving the table, asked for whom were those loaves and fishes, and seeing the stranger he made him a civil bow and said, 
Pray, sir, was you in need of any professional assistance we could give? Who, upon his offer, thanked him very heartily, though preserving his proper distance, and replied that he was come there about a lady, now an inmate of Horn's house, that was in an interesting condition, poor lady, from woman's woe. And here he fetched a deep sigh, to know if her happiness had yet taken place. Mr. Dixon, to turn the table, took on to ask Mr. Mulligan himself whether his incipient ventripotence, upon which he rallied him, betokened an overblastic gestation in the prostatic utricle or male womb, or was due, as with the noted physician Mr. Austin Meldon, to a wolf in the stomach. For answer, Mr. Mulligan, in a gale of laughter at his smalls, smote himself bravely below the diaphragm, exclaiming with an admirable droll mimic of Mother Grogan, the most excellent creature of her sex, though it is pity she's a trollop, "'There's a belly that never bore a bastard!' This was so happy a conceit that it renewed the storms of mirth and threw the whole room into the most violent agitations of delight. The spry rattle had run on in the same vein of mimicry, but for some larum in the antechamber. Here the listener, <coughs> who was none other than the Scotch student, a little fume of a fellow, blonde as toe, congratulated in the liveliest fashion with the young gentleman, and, interrupting the narrative at a salient point, having desired his vis-a-vis -vis with a polite beck to have the obligingness to pass him a flagon of cordial waters, at the same time, by a questioning pose of the head, a whole century of polite breeding had not achieved so nice a gesture to which was united an equivalent but contrary balance of the head, asked the narrator as plainly as was ever done in words if he might treat him with a cup of it. "'Mais, bien sûr, noble stranger,' said he cheerily. "'A mille compliments, that you may, and very opportunely. "'There wanted nothing but this cup to crown my felicity. "'But, gracious heaven, was I left with but a crust in my wallet "'and a cup full of water from the well, "'my God, I would accept of them "'and find it in my heart to kneel down upon the ground "'and give thanks to the powers above "'for the happiness vouchsafed me by the giver of good things.' <coughs> "'With these words,' He approached the goblet to his lips, took a complacent draught of the cordial, slicked his hair, and, opening his bosom, out popped a locket that hung from a silk ribbon, that very picture which he had cherished ever since her hand had wrote therein. Gazing upon those features with a world of tenderness, "'Ah, monsieur,' he said, "'had you but beheld her as I did with these eyes at that affecting instant with her dainty tucker and her new coquette cap,' a gift for her feast-day, as she told me, in such an artless disorder, of so melting a tenderness. Upon my conscience, even you, monsieur, had been impelled by generous nature to deliver yourself wholly into the hands of such an enemy, or to quit the field for ever. I declare I was never so touched in all my life. God, I thank thee as the author of my days. Thrice happy will he be whom so amiable a creature will bless with her favours. A sigh of affection gave eloquence to these words, and having replaced the locket in his bosom, he wiped his eye and sighed again. Beneficent, disseminator of blessings to all thy creatures, how great and universal must be that sweetest of thy tyrannies which can hold in thrall the free and the bond, the simple swain and the polished coxcomb, the lover in the heyday of reckless passion, and the husband of maturer years. But indeed, sir, I wander from the point. How mingled and imperfect are all our sublunary joys. Maledicity! Would to God that foresight had remembered me to take my cloak along. 
I could weep to think of it. Then, though it had poured seven showers, we were neither of us a penny the worse. But beshrew me, he cried, clapping hand to his forehead. Tomorrow will be a new day, and thousand thunders I know of a marchand de capote, Monsieur Points, from whom I can have for a livre as snug a cloak of the French fashion as ever kept a lady from wetting. "'cries Le Fécondateur, tripping in. "'My friend, Monsieur Moore, that most accomplished traveller, "'I have just cracked a half-bottle avec lui "'in a circle of the best wits of the town, "'is my authority that in Cape Horn, Ventrebiche, "'they have a rain that will wet through any, "'even the stoutest cloak. "'A drenching of that violence, he tells me, sans blague, "'has sent more than one luckless fellow "'in good earnest post-haste to another world. Poor A leave!' cries Monsieur Lynch. The clumsy things are dear at a sou. One umbrella, were it no bigger than a fairy mushroom, is worth ten such stopgaps. No woman of any wit would wear one. My dear Kitty told me today that she would dance in a deluge before ever she would starve in such an ark of salvation, for, as she reminded me, blushing piquantly and whispering in my ear, though there was none to snap her words but giddy butterflies, Dame Nature, by the divine blessing, has implanted it in our heart, and it has become a household word, that il y a deux choses for which the innocence of our original garb, in other circumstances a breach of the proprieties, is the fittest, nay, the only garment. The first, said she, and here my pretty philosopher, as I handed her to her tilbury, to fix my attention, gently tipped with her tongue the outer chamber of my ear. The first is a bath. But at this point a bell tinkling in the hall cut short a discourse which promised so bravely for the enrichment of our store of knowledge. Amid the general vacant hilarity of the assembly, a bell rang, and while all were conjecturing what might be the cause, Miss Callan entered, and having spoken a few words in a low tone to young Mr. Dixon, retired with a profound bow to the company. The presence, even for a moment, among a party of debauchees of a woman endued with every quality of modesty, and not less severe than beautiful, refrained the humorous sallies even of the most licentious. But her departure was the signal for an outbreak of ribaldry. "'Strike me silly,' said Costello, a low fellow who was fuddled. "'A monstrous fine bit of cow flesh. "'I'll be sworn she has rendezvoused you. "'What's your dog? Have you away with them, Gadsbud?' "'Immensely so,' said Mr. Lynch. "'The bedside manner it is that they use in the matter hospice. "'Demi, does not Dr. O'Gargle chuck the nuns there under the chin?' As I looked to be saved, I headed for my kitty, who has been ward-maid there any time these seven months. Locks the mercy, doctor, cried the young blood in the primrose vest, feigning a womanish simper and immodest squirmings of his body. How you do tease a body. Dread the man. Bless me, I'm all of a wibbly-wobbly. Why, you're as bad as dear little father. Can't you kiss him? That you are. "'Made this pot of four half choke me,' cried Costello, "'if she ain't in the family way. "'I knows a lady what's got a white swelling "'quick as I claps eyes on her.' "'The young surgeon, however, rose "'and begged the company to excuse his retreat, 
as the nurse had just then informed him, that it was needed in the ward. Merciful Providence had been pleased to put a period to the sufferings of the lady who was enceinte, which she had borne with a laudable fortitude, and she had given birth to a bouncing boy. "'I want patience,' said he, "'with those who, without wit to enliven or learning to instruct, revile an ennobling profession, which, saving the reverence due to the deity, is the greatest power for happiness upon the earth.' I am positive when I say that if need were, I could produce a cloud of witnesses to the excellence of her noble exercitations, which, so far from being a byword, should be a glorious incentive in the human breast. I cannot away with them. What? Malign such a one, the amiable Miss Callan, who is the lustre of her own sex and the astonishment of ours, and, at an instant, the most momentous that can befall a puny child of clay? perish the thought. I shudder to think of the future of a race where the seeds of such malice have been sown, and where no right reverence is rendered to mother and maid in House of Horn. Having delivered himself of this rebuke, he saluted those present on the by and repaired to the door. A murmur of approval arose from all, and some were for ejecting the low soaker without more ado, a design which would have been effected, nor would he have received more than his bare deserts, had he not abridged his transgression by affirming with a horrid imprecation, for he swore a round hand, that he was as good a son of the true fold as ever drew breath. Step my vitals, said he. Them was always the sentiments of honest Frank Costello, which I was bred up most particular to honour thy father and thy mother that had the best hand to a roly-poly or a hasty pudding as you ever see, what I always looks back on with a loving heart. To revert to Mr. Bloom, who, after his first entry, had been conscious of some impudent mocks, which he, however, had borne with, being the fruits of that age upon which it is commonly charged that it knows not pity. The young sparks, it is true, were as full of extravagances as overgrown children. The words of their tumultuary discussions were difficultly understood and not often nice. Their testiness and outrageous moe were such that his intellects resiled from, nor were they scrupulously sensible of the proprieties though their fund of strong animal spirits spoke in their behalf. But the word of Mr. Costello was an unwelcome language for him, for he nauseated the wretch that seemed to him a crop-eared creature of a misshapen gibbosity born out of wedlock and thrust like a crook-back tooth and feet first into the world, which the dint of the surgeon's pliers in his skull lent indeed a colour to, so as to put him in thought of that missing link of creation's chain, desiderated by the late ingenious Mr. Darwin. It was now, for more than the middle span of our allotted years, that he had passed through the thousand vicissitudes of existence, and being of a wary ascendancy, and self a man of rare forecast, he had enjoined his heart to repress all motions of a rising collar 
and, by intercepting them with the readiest precaution, foster within his breast that plenitude of sufferance which base minds jeer at, rash judges scorn, and all find tolerable and but tolerable. To those who create themselves wits at the cost of feminine delicacy, a habit of mind which he never did hold with, to them he would concede neither to bear the name nor to inherit the tradition of a proper breeding, while for such that, having lost all forbearance, can lose no more, there remain the sharp antidote of experience to cause their insolency to beat a precipitate and inglorious retreat. Not but what he could feel with mettlesome youth, which caring not for the mows of dotards or the gruntlings of the severe is ever, as the chaste fancy of the holy writer expresses it, for eating of the tree forbid it. Yet not so far forth as to pretermit humanity upon any condition soever towards a gentlewoman when she was about her lawful occasions. And to conclude, while from the sister's words he had reckoned upon a speedy delivery, he was, however, it must be owned, not a little alleviated by the intelligence that the issue so auspicated after an ordeal of such duress now testified once more to the mercy as well as to the bounty of the supreme being. Accordingly, he broke his mind to his neighbour, saying that to express his notion of the thing, his opinion, who ought not perchance to express one, was that one must have a cold constitution and a frigid genius not to be rejoiced by this freshest news of the fruition of her confinement, since she had been in such pain through no fault of hers. The dressy young blade said it was her husband's that put her in that expectation, or at least it ought to be, unless she was another Ephesian matron. I must acquaint you, said Mr. Crothers, clapping on the table so as to evoke a resonant comment of emphasis. Old glory allalurum was round again today, an elderly man with dundrearies, preferring through his nose a request to have word of Wilhelmina, my life, as he calls her. I bade him hold himself in readiness, for that the event would burst anon. Slife, I'll be round with you. I cannot but extol the virile potency of the old buckle that could still knock another child out of her. All fell to praising of it, each after his own fashion, though the same young blade held with his former view that another than her conjugal had been the man in the gap, a clerk in orders, a link-boy, virtuous, or an itinerant vendor of articles needed in every household. Singular communed the guest with himself. The wonderfully unequal faculty of metempsychosis possessed by them, that the puerperal dormitory and the dissecting theatre should be the seminaries of such frivolity, that the mere acquisition of academic titles should suffice to transform in a pinch of time these 
votaries of levity, into exemplary practitioners of an art which most men, anywise eminent, have esteemed the noblest. But, he further added, it is mayhap to relieve the pent-up feelings that in common oppress them, for I have more than once observed that birds of a feather laugh together. But with what fitness, let it be asked, of the noble lord his patron, has this alien, whom the concession of a gracious prince has admitted to civil rights, constituted himself the lord paramount of our internal polity? Where is now that gratitude which loyalty should have counselled? During the recent war, whenever the enemy had a temporary advantage with his granados, did this traitor to his kind not seize that moment to discharge his peace against the empire of which he is a tenant at will, while he trembled for the security of his four percents? Has he forgotten this, as he forgets all benefits received? Or is it that from being a deluder of others he has become at last his own dupe, as he is, if report belie him not, his own and his only enjoyer? Far be it from candour to violate the bedchamber of a respectable lady, the daughter of a gallant major, or to cast the most distant reflections upon her virtue. But if he challenges attention there, as it was indeed highly his interest not to have done, then be it so. Unhappy woman, she has been too long and too persistently denied her legitimate prerogative to listen to his objurgations with any other feeling than the derision of the desperate. He says this, a censor of morals, a very pelican in his piety, who did not scruple, oblivious of the ties of nature, to attempt illicit intercourse with a female domestic drawn from the lowest strata of society. Nay, had the hussy's scouring brush not been her tutelary angel, it had gone with her as hard as with Hagar the Egyptian. In the question of the grazing lands, his peevish asperity is notorious, and in Mr. Cuff's hearing brought upon him from an indignant rancher a scathing retort, couched in terms as straightforward as they were bucolic. It ill becomes him to preach that gospel. Has he not, nearer home, a seed-field that lies fallow for the want of a ploughshare? A habit reprehensible at puberty is second nature and an opprobrium in middle life. If he must dispense his balm of Gilead in nostrums and apophthegms of dubious taste to restore to health a generation of unfledged profligates, let his practice consist better with the doctrines that now engross him. His marital breast is the repository of secrets which decorum is reluctant to adduce. The lewd suggestions of some faded beauty may console him for a consort neglected and debauched. But this new exponent of morals and healer of ills is at his best an exotic tree, which, when rooted in its native orient, throve and flourished and was abundant in balm. But, transplanted to a clime more temperate, its roots have lost their quondam vigour, while the stuff that comes away from it is stagnant, acid, and inoperative. The news was imparted with a circumspection recalling the ceremonial usages of the sublime port by the second female infirmarian to the junior medical officer in residence, 
who in his turn announced to the delegation that an heir had been born. When he had betaken himself to the women's apartment to assist at the prescribed ceremony of the afterbirth in the presence of the Secretary of State for Domestic Affairs and the members of the Privy Council, silent in unanimous exhaustion and approbation, the delegates chaffing under the length and solemnity of their vigil and hoping that the joyful occurrence would palliate a licence which the simultaneous absence of Abigail and officer rendered the easier, broke out at once into a strife of tongues. In vain, the voice of Mr. Canvasser Bloom was heard endeavouring to urge, to mollify, to restrain. The moment was too propitious for the display of that discursiveness which seemed the only bond of union among tempers so divergent. Every phase of the situation was successively eviscerated. The prenatal repugnance of uterine brothers, the Caesarean section... Posthumity with respect to the father and that rarer form with respect to the mother. The fratricidal case known as the child's murder and rendered memorable by the impassioned plea of Mr. Advocate Bush which secured the acquittal of the wrongfully accused. The rights of primogeniture and king's bounty touching twins and triplets. Miscarriages and infanticides, simulated and dissimulated. A cardiac fetus in fetu. A prosopia due to a congestion the agnatia of certain chinless Chinamen cited by Mr. Candidate Mulligan in consequence of defective reunion of the maxillary knobs along the medial line, so that, as he said, one ear could hear what the other spoke, the benefits of anaesthesia or twilight sleep, the prolongation of labour pains in advanced gravidancy by reason of pressure on the vein, the premature relentment of the amniotic fluid as exemplified in the actual case, with consequent peril of sepsis to the matrix, artificial insemination by means of syringes, involution of the womb consequent upon the menopause, the problem of the perpetuation of the species in the case of females impregnated by delinquent rape, that distressing manner of delivery called by the Brandenburgers Stutzgeburt, the recorded instances of multigeminal, twi-kindled and monstrous births conceived during the catamenic period or of consanguineous parents. In a word, all the cases of human nativity which Aristotle has classified in his masterpiece with chromolithographic illustrations. The gravest problems of obstetrics and forensic medicine were examined with as much animation as the most popular beliefs on the state of pregnancy, such as the forbidding to a gravid woman to step over a country style, lest by her movement the navel cord should strangle her creature, and the injunction upon her in the event of a yearning, ardently and ineffectually entertained, to place her hand against that part of her person which long usage has consecrated as the seat of castigation. The abnormalities of hair lip, breast mole, supernumerary digits, negro's inkle, Strawberry mark and port wine stain were alleged by one as a prima facie and natural hypothetical explanation of swine-headed, the case of Madame Grizel Stevens was not forgotten, or dog-haired infants occasionally born. The hypothesis of a plasmic memory, advanced by the Caledonian envoy and worthy of the metaphysical traditions of the land he stood for, envisaged in such cases an arrest of embryonic development at some stage antecedent to the human. An outlandish delegate sustained against both these views with such heat as almost carried conviction the theory of copulation between women and the males of brutes, 
his authority being his own avouchment in support of fables such as that of the Minotaur, which the genius of the elegant Latin poet has handed down to us in the pages of his Metamorphoses. The impression made by his words was immediate but short-lived. It was effaced as easily as it had been evoked by an allocution from Mr. Candidate Mulligan in that vein of pleasantry which none better than he knew how to affect, postulating as the supremest object of desire a nice, clean old man. Contemporaneously, a heated argument having arisen between Mr. Delegate Madden and Mr. Candidate Lynch regarding the juridical and theological dilemma in the event of one Siamese twin predeceasing the other, the difficulty by mutual consent was referred to Mr. Canvasser Bloom, for instant submittal to Mr. Coadjutor Deacon Dedalus. Hitherto silent, whether the better to show by preternatural gravity that curious dignity of the garb with which he was invested, or in obedience to an inward voice, he delivered briefly, and as some thought perfunctorily, the ecclesiastical ordinance forbidding man to put asunder what God has joined. But Malachi's tale began to freeze them with horror. He conjured up the scene before them. The secret panel beside the chimney slid back, and in the recess appeared Haynes. Which of us did not feel his flesh creep? He had a portfolio full of Celtic literature in one hand, in the other a file marked poison. Surprise, horror, loathing were depicted on all faces, while he eyed them with a ghastly grin. I anticipated some such reception, he began with an eldritch laugh, for which it seems history is to blame. Yes, it is true. I am the murderer of Samuel Childs, and how I am punished. The inferno is no terrors for me. This is the appearances on me, Tear and ages, what way would I be resting at all, he muttered thickly, and I tramp in Dublin this while back with my share of songs, and himself after me the like of a south or a bullawurus. My hell and Ireland's is in this life. It is what I try to obliterate my crime. Distractions, rook-shooting, the earth's language, he recited some. Laudanum, he raised the file to his lips, camping out. In vain. His spectre stalks me. Dope is my only hope. Ah, destruction. The Black Panther. With a cry, he suddenly vanished, and the panel slid back. An instant later, his head appeared in the door opposite and said, Meet me at Westland Row Station at ten past eleven. He was gone. Tears gushed from the eyes of the dissipated host. The seer raised his hand to heaven, murmuring, the vendetta of Mananan, the sage repeated. Lex talionis, the sentimentalist is he who would enjoy without incurring the immense debtorship for a thing done. Malachias, overcome by emotion, ceased, and the mystery was unveiled. Haynes was the third brother. His real name was Childs. The Black Panther was himself, the ghost of his own father. He drank drugs to obliterate. For this relief, much thanks. The lonely house by the graveyard is uninhabited. No soul will live there. The spider pitches a web in the solitude. The nocturnal rat peers from his hole. A curse is on it. It is haunted. Murderer's ground. 
what is the age of the soul of man. As she had the virtue of the chameleon to change her hue at every new approach, to be gay with the merry and mournful with the downcast, so too is her age changeable as her mood. No longer is Leopold as he sits there, ruminating, chewing the cud of reminiscence, that staid agent of publicity and holder of a modest substance in the funds. He is young, Leopold, as in a retrospective arrangement, a mirror within a mirror. Hey, presto, he beholdeth himself. That young figure of then is seen precociously manly, walking on a nipping morning from the old house in Clambrassel Street to the high school his book satchel on him bandolier-wise, and in it a goodly hunk of wheaten loaf, a mother's thought. Or it is the same figure a year or so gone over, in his first hard hat. Ah, that was a day. Already on the road, a full-fledged traveller for the family firm, equipped with an order book, a scented handkerchief, not for show only, his case of bright trinketware, alas, a thing now of the past and a quiverful of compliant smiles for this or that half-one housewife, reckoning it out upon her fingertips, or for a budding virgin, shyly acknowledging, but the heart, tell me, his studied basement. The scent, the smile, but more than these, the dark eyes and oleaginous address, brought home at duskfall many a commission to the head of the firm. Seated with Jacob's pipe, after light labours in the paternal ingle, a meal of noodles, you may be sure, is a heating. Reading through round-horned spectacles some paper from the Europe of a month before. But hey, presto, the mirror is breathed on, and the young knight-errant recedes, shrivels to a tiny speck within the mist. Now he is himself paternal, and these about him might be his sons. Who can say? The wise father knows his own child. He thinks of a drizzling night in Hatch Street, hard by the bonded stores there, the first. Together, she is a poor waif, a child of shame, yours and mine, and of all, for a bare shilling and her luck penny. Together they hear the heavy tread of the watch as two rain-caped shadows pass the new Royal University. Bridie, Bridie Kelly... He will never forget the name, ever remember the night, first night, the bride night. They are entwined in nethermost darkness, the willer with the willed, and in an instant, fiat, light shall flood the world. Did heart leap to heart? Nay, fair reader, in a breath twas done, but hold back, it must not be. In terror the poor girl flees away through the muck. She is the bride of darkness, a daughter of night. She dare not bear the sunny golden babe of day. No, Leopold, name and memory celest thee not. That youthful illusion of thy strength was taken from thee and in vain. No son of thy loins is by thee. There is none now to be for Leopold what Leopold was for Rudolph. The voices blend and fuse in clouded silence, silence that is the infinite of space, and swiftly, silently, the soul is wafted over regions of sight 
cycles of cycles of generations that have lived. A region where grey twilight ever descends, never falls on wide sage-green pasture fields, shedding her dusk, scattering a perennial dew of stars. She follows her mother with ungainly steps, a mare leading her filly foal. Twilight phantoms are they, yet moulded in prophetic grace of structure, slim, shapely haunches, a supple, tenderness neck, the meek, apprehensive skull. They fade, sad phantoms, all is gone. Agendath is a wasteland, a home of screech owls and the sand-blind Yupupa. Netame the golden is no more, and on the highway of the clouds they come, muttering thunder of rebellion, the ghosts of beasts. Ho! Hark! Ho! Parallax stalks behind and goads them, the lacinating lightnings of whose brow are scorpions. Elk and yak, the bulls of Bashan and of Babylon, mammoth and mastodon, they come trooping to the sunken sea, lacus mortis. Ominous, revengeful, zodiacal host, they moan, passing upon the clouds, horned and capricorned, the trumpeted with the tusked, the lion-maned, the giant-antlered, snouter and crawler, rodent, ruminant, and pachyderm, all their moving, moaning multitude, murderers of the sun. Onward to the Dead Sea they tramp, to drink, unslaked and with horrible gulpings, the salt, somnolent, inexhaustible flood, and the equine portent grows again, magnified in the deserted heavens, nay, to heaven's own magnitude, till it looms vast over the house of Virgo. And lo, wonder of metempsychosis, it is she, the everlasting bride, harbinger of the day-star, the bride ever-virgin. It is she, Martha, thou lost one, Millicent the young, the dear, the radiant. How serene does she now arise, a queen among the Pleiades, in the penultimate anti-Lucan hour, shod in sandals of bright gold, coiffed with a veil of what you call it, gossamer. It floats, it flows about her star-born flesh, and loose it streams emerald, sapphire, mauve and heliotrope sustained on currents of cold interstellar wind, winding, coiling, simply swirling, writhing in the skies a mysterious writing, till after a myriad metamorphoses of symbol it blazes alpha, a ruby and triangle sign upon the forehead of Taurus. Francis was reminding Stephen of years before when they had been at school together in Conmee's time. He asked about Glaucon, Alcibiades, Pisistratus. Where were they now? Neither knew. You have spoken of the past and its phantoms, Stephen said. Why think of them? If I call them into life across the waters of Lethe, will not the poor ghosts troop to my call? Who supposes it? I, boost Evenuminus, bullock-befriending bard, am lord and giver of their life. 
he encircled his gadding hair with the coronal of vine leaves, smiling at Vincent. That answer and those leaves, Vincent said to him, will adorn you more fitly when something more and greatly more than a capful of light odes can call your genius father. All who wish you well hope this for you. All desire to see you bring forth the work you meditate. I heartily wish you may not fail them. Oh no, Vincent Lenehan said, laying a hand on the shoulder near him. Have no fear. He could not leave his mother an orphan. The young man's face grew dark. All could see how hard it was for him to be reminded of his promise and of his recent loss. He would have withdrawn from the feast had not the noise of voices allayed the smart. Madden had lost five drachmas on sceptre for a whim of the rider's name. Lenehan as much more. He told them of the race. The flag fell and... <gasps> off, scamper! The mare ran out freshly with... Oh, Madden up! She was leading the field. All hearts were beating. Even Phyllis could not contain herself. She waved her scarf and cried, Huzzah! Scepter wins! But in the straight, on the run home, when all were in close order, the dark horse throwaway drew level, reached, outstripped her. All was lost now. Phyllis was silent. Her eyes were sad anemones. Juno, she cried, I am undone. But her lover consoled her and brought her a bright casket of gold in which lay some oval sugar plums which she partook. A tear fell, one only. A whacking fine whip, said Lenehan, is W. Lane. Four winners yesterday and three today. What rider is like him? Mount him on the camel or the boisterous buffalo, the victory in a hack canter is still his. But let us bear it as was the ancient wont. Mercy on the luckless. <sighs> Poor Sceptre, he said with a light sigh. She is not the filly that she was. Never by this hand shall we behold such another. By gad, sir, a queen of them. Do you remember her, Vincent? I wish you could have seen my queen today, Vincent said. How young she was, and radiant. Lalogy were scarce fair beside her in her yellow shoes and frock of muslin. I do not know the right name of it. The chestnuts that shaded us were in bloom. The air drooped with their persuasive odour, and with pollen floating by us. In the sunny patches one might easily have cooked on a stone a batch of those buns with corinth fruit in them that Periplopomenus sells in his booth near the bridge. But she had naught for her teeth but the arm with which I held her, and in that she nibbled mischievously when I pressed too close. A week ago she lay ill, four days on the couch, but today she was free, blithe, mocked at peril. She is more taking, then. Her posies, too. Mad romp that it is she had pulled her fill as we reclined together. And in your ear, my friend, you will not think who met us as we left the field. Con me himself... He was walking by the hedge, reading, I think, a brevier book with, I doubt not a witty letter in it from Glycera or Chloe to keep the page. The sweet creature turned all colours in her confusion, feigning to reprove a slight disorder in her dress. A slip of underwood clung there, for the very trees adore her. When Conmay had passed, she glanced at her lovely echo in the little mirror she carries. But he had been kind. In going by he had blessed us. The gods, too, are ever kind, Lenehan said. 
If I had poor luck with Bass's mare, perhaps this draught of his may serve me more propensely. He was laying his hand upon a wine jar. Malachy saw it and withheld his act, pointing to the stranger and to the scarlet label. Warily Malachy whispered, Preserve a druid silence. His soul is far away. It is as painful, perhaps, to be awakened from a vision as to be born. Any object intensely regarded may be a gate of access to the incorruptible eon of the gods. Do you not think it, Stephen? Theosophus told me so, Stephen answered, whom in a previous existence Egyptian priests initiated into the mysteries of karmic law. The lords of the moon, Theosophus told me, an orange fiery shipload from planet Alpha of the lunar chain would not assume the etheric doubles, and these were therefore incarnated by the ruby-coloured egos from the second constellation. However, as a matter of fact, though, the preposterous surmise about him being in some description of a doldrums or other, or mesmerised, which was entirely due to a misconception of the shallowest character, was not the case at all. The individual whose visual organs, while the above was going on, were at this juncture commencing to exhibit symptoms of animation, was as astute, if not astuter, than any man living, and anybody that conjectured the contrary would have found themselves pretty speedily in the wrong shop. During the past four minutes or thereabouts, he had been staring hard at a certain amount of number one bass, bottled by Messrs. Bass and Co. at Burton-on-Trent, which happened to be situated amongst a lot of others, right opposite to where he was, and which was certainly calculated to attract anyone's remark on account of its scarlet appearance. He was simply and solely, as it subsequently transpired, for reasons best known to himself, which put quite an altogether different complexion on the proceedings, after the moment before his observations about boyhood days and the turf, recollecting two or three private transactions of his own, which the other two were as mutually innocent of as the babe unborn. Eventually, however, both their eyes met, and as soon as it began to dawn on him that the other was endeavouring to help himself to the thing, he involuntarily determined to help him himself, and so he accordingly took hold of the medium-sized glass recipient which contained the fluid sought after, and made a capacious hole in it by pouring a lot of it out, with, also at the same time, however, a considerable degree of attentiveness, in order not to upset any of the beer that was in it about the place. The debate which ensued was, in its scope and progress, an epitome of the course of life. Neither place nor council was lacking in dignity. The debaters were the keenest in the land, the theme they were engaged on the loftiest and most vital. The High Hall of Horn's House had never beheld an assembly so representative and so varied, nor had the old rafters of that establishment ever listened to a language so encyclopedic. A gallant scene, in truth, it made. Crothers was there at the foot of the table, in his striking highland garb, his face glowing from the briny airs of the Mull of Galloway. There, too, opposite to him was Lynch, whose countenance bore already the stigmata of early depravity and premature wisdom. Next, the Scotchman, was the place assigned to Costello, the eccentric, while at his side was seated in stolid repose the squat form of Madden. The chair of the resident, indeed, stood vacant before the hearth, but on either flank of it the figure of Bannon, in explorer's kit of tweed shorts and salted cowhide brogues, contrasted sharply with the primrose elegance and the town-bred manners of Malachy Rowland St. John Mulligan. Lastly, at the head of the board was the young poet, who found a refuge from his labours of pedagogy and metaphysical inquisition in the convivial atmosphere of Socratic discussion, 
while to right and left of him were accommodated the flippant prognosticator, fresh from the hippodrome, and that vigilant wanderer, soiled by the dust of travel and combat, and stained by the mire of an indelible dishonour, but from whose steadfast and constant heart no lure or peril or threat or degradation could ever efface the image of that voluptuous loveliness which the inspired pencil of Lafayette has limned for ages yet to come. It had better be stated here and now, at the outset, that the perverted transcendentalism to which Mr. S. Dedalus's Divsep contentions would appear to prove him pretty badly addicted, runs directly counter to accepted scientific methods. Science, it cannot be too often repeated, deals with tangible phenomena. The man of science, like the man in the street, has to face hard-headed facts that cannot be blinked, and explain them as best he can. There may be, it is true, some questions which science cannot answer. At present, such as the first problem submitted by Mr. L. Bloom, Pub Canv, regarding the future determination of sex. Must we accept the view of Empedocles of Trinacria that the right ovary, the post-menstrual period, assert others, is responsible for the birth of males, or are the two long-neglected spermatozoa or nemosperms the differentiating factors? Or is it, as most embryologists incline to opine, such as Culpepper, Spallanzani, Blumenbach, Lusk, Hertwig, Leopold and Valenti, a mixture of both. This would be tantamount to a cooperation, one of nature's favourite devices, between the nisus formativus of the nemosperm on the one hand, and on the other a happily chosen position, succubitus felix, of the passive element. The other problem raised by the same inquirer is scarcely less vital, infant mortality. It is interesting because, as he pertinently remarks, we are all born in the same way, but we all die in different ways. Mr. M. Mulligan, Hige et Huge Doc, blames the sanitary conditions in which our grey-lunged citizens contract adenoids, pulmonary complaints, etc., by inhaling the bacteria which lurk in dust. These factors, he alleges, and the revolting spectacles offered by our streets hideous publicity posters, religious ministers of all denominations, mutilated soldiers and sailors, exposed scorbutic car drivers, the suspended carcasses of dead animals, paranoic bachelors and unfructified duennas, these, he said, were accountable for any and every falling off in the calibre of the race. Calipedia, he prophesied, would soon be generally adopted and all the graces of life, genuinely good music, agreeable literature, light philosophy, instructive pictures, plaster-cast reproductions of the classical statues, such as Venus and Apollo, artistic coloured photographs of prize babies, all these little attentions would enable ladies who were in a particular condition to pass the intervening months in a most enjoyable manner. Mr. J. Crothers, disc back, attributes some of these demises to abdominal trauma in the case of women workers subjected to heavy labours in the workshop and to marital discipline in the home, but by far the vast majority to neglect, private or official, culminating in the exposure of newborn infants, the practice of criminal abortion or in the atrocious crime of infanticide. Although the former, we are thinking of neglect, is undoubtedly only too true. The case he cites of nurses forgetting to count the sponges in the peritoneal cavity is too rare to be normative. In fact, when one comes to look into it, the wonder is that so many pregnancies and deliveries go off so well as they do, all things considered and in spite of our human shortcomings which often balk nature in her intentions. An ingenious suggestion is that thrown out by Mr. V. Lynch, Bakarith, that both natality and mortality, as well as all other phenomena of evolution, tidal movements, lunar phases, blood temperatures, diseases in general, 
everything in fine, in nature's vast workshop from the extinction of some remote sun to the blossoming of one of the countless flowers which beautify our public parks, is subject to a law of numeration as yet unascertained. Still, the plain straightforward question, why a child of normally healthy parents and seemingly a healthy child and properly looked after, succumbs unaccountably in early childhood, though other children of the same marriage do not, must certainly, in the poet's words, give us pause. Nature, we may rest assured, has her own good and cogent reasons for whatever she does, and in all probability such deaths are due to some law of anticipation by which organisms in which morbus germs have taken up their residence, modern science has conclusively shown that only the plasmic substance can be said to be immortal, tend to disappear at an increasingly earlier stage of development, an arrangement which, though productive of pain to some of our feelings, notably the maternal, is nevertheless, some of us think, in the long run beneficial to the race in general in securing thereby the survival of the fittest. Mr. S. Dedalus's divsep remark, or should it be called an interruption, that an omnivorous being which can masticate, deglute, digest, and apparently pass through the ordinary channel with pluto-perfect imperturbability such multifarious elements as cancerous females, emaciated by parturition, corpulent professional gentlemen, not to speak of jaundiced politicians and chlorotic nuns, might possibly find gastric relief in an innocent collation of staggering bob, reveals as naught else could, and in a very unsavoury light, the tendency above alluded to. For the enlightenment of those who are not so intimately acquainted with the minutiae of the municipal abattoir, as this morbid-minded aesthete and embryo philosopher, who for all his overweening bumptiousness, in things scientific can scarcely distinguish an acid from an alkali, prides himself on being, it should perhaps be stated that staggering Bob, in the vile parlance of our lower-class licensed victuallers, signifies the cookable and eatable flesh of a calf newly dropped from its mother. In a recent public controversy with Mr. L. Bloom, pub canv, which took place in the Commons Hall of the National Maternity Hospital, 2930 and 31 Hollis Street, of which, as is well known, Dr. A. Horn, lice in Midiff, FKQCPI, is the able and popular master, he is reported by eyewitnesses as having stated that once a woman has let the cat into the bag, an aesthetic allusion presumably to one of the most complicated and marvellous of all nature's processes, the act of sexual congress, she must let it out again or give it life, as he phrased it, to save her own. At the risk of her own, was the telling rejoinder of his interlocutor, nonetheless effective for the moderate and measured tone in which it was delivered. Meanwhile, the skill and patience of the physician had brought about a happy accouchement. It had been a weary, weary while both for patient and doctor. All that surgical skill could do was done, and the brave woman had manfully helped. She had. She had fought the good fight, and now she was very, very happy. Those who have passed on, who have gone before, are happy too, as they gaze down and smile upon the touching scene. Reverently look at her as she reclines there with a the mother light in her eyes, that longing hunger for baby fingers. A pretty sight it is to see, in the first bloom of her new motherhood, breathing a silent prayer of thanksgiving to one above, the universal husband. And as her loving eyes behold her babe, she wishes only one blessing more, to have her dear Dodie there with her to share her joy, to lay in his arms that might of God's clay, 
the fruit of their lawful embraces. He is older now, you and I may whisper it, and a trifle stooped in the shoulders, yet in the whirligig of years a grave dignity has come to the conscientious second accountant of the Ulster Bank College Green branch. O Dodie, loved one of old, faithful life mate now, it may never be again that far-off time of the roses. With the old shake of her pretty head she recalls those days, God, how beautiful now across the mist of years. But their children are grouped in her imagination about the bedside, hers and his. Charlie, Mary Alice, Frederick Albert, if he had lived, Mamie, Budgie, Victoria Frances, Tom, Violet, Constance, Louisa, darling little Bobsy, called after our famous hero of the South African War, Lord Bobs of Waterford and Kandahar. And now, this last pledge of their union, a pure foy if ever there was one, with a true pure foy nose. Young Hopeful will be christened Mortimer Edward after the influential third cousin of Mr. Purefoy in the Treasury Remembrancer's office, Dublin Castle. And so time wags on, but Father Cronian has dealt lightly here. No, let no sigh break from that bosom, dear gentle Mina. And Dodie, knock the ashes from your pipe, the seasoned briar you still fancy, when the curfew rings for you, may it be the distant day, and doubt the light whereby you read in the sacred book. For the oil, too, has run low, and so, with a tranquil heart, to bed, to rest. He knows and will call in his own good time. You, too, have fought the good fight and played loyally your man's part. Sir, to you my hand. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. There are sins, or let us call them as the world calls them, evil memories which are hidden away by man in the darkest places of the heart, but they abide there and wait. He may suffer their memory to grow dim, let them be as though they had not been, and all but persuade himself that they were not, or at least were otherwise. Yet a chance word will call them forth suddenly and they will rise up to confront him in the most various circumstances, a vision or a dream, or while timbrel and harp soothe his senses, or amid the cool silver tranquility of the evening, or at the feast at midnight when he is now filled with wine. Not to insult over him will the vision come as over one that lies under her wrath, not for vengeance to cut off from the living, but shrouded in the piteous vesture of the past, silent, remote, reproachful. The stranger still regarded on the face before him a slow recession of that false calm there, imposed, as it seemed, by habit or some studied trick, upon words so embittered as to accuse in the speaker an unhealthiness, a flair for the cruder things of life. A scene disengages itself in the observer's memory, evoked, it would seem, by a word of so natural a homeliness 
as if those days were really present there, as some thought, with their immediate pleasures. A shaven space of lawn, one soft May evening, the well-remembered grove of lilacs at Roundtown, purple and white, fragrant, slender spectators of the game, but with much real interest in the pellets as they run slowly forward over the sward, or collide and stop one by its fellow, with a brief, alert shock. And yonder, about that grey urn, where the water moves at times in thoughtful irrigation, you saw another as fragrant sisterhood, flowy, atty, tiny, and their darker friend, with I know not what of a resting in her pose then, our Lady of the Cherries, a comely brace of them pendant from an ear, bringing out the foreign warmth of the skin so daintily against the cool, ardent fruit. A lad of four or five in Lindsay-Woolsey, blossom time, but there will be cheer in the kindly hearth when ere long the bowls are gathered and hutched, is standing on the urn, secured by that circle of girlish, fond hands. He frowns a little, just as this young man does now, with a perhaps too conscious enjoyment of danger, but must needs glance at whiles towards where his mother watches from the piazzetta, giving upon the flower close with a faint shadow of remoteness or of reproach, alles vergängliche, in her glad look. Mark this farther, and remember, the end comes suddenly. Enter that antechamber of birth where the studios are assembled, and note their faces, nothing as it seems there of rash or violent, quietude of custody, rather, befitting their station in that house, the vigilant watch of shepherds and of angels about a crib in Bethlehem of Judah long ago. But as before the lightning, the serried storm clouds, heavy with preponderant excess of moisture, in swollen masses turgidly distended, compass earth and sky in one vast slumber, impending above parched field and drowsy oxen and blighted growth of shrub and verdure, till in an instant a flash rives their centres, and with the reverberation of the thunder the cloudburst pours its torrent. So and not otherwise was the transformation, violent and instantaneous, upon the utterance of the word. Burks, out flings my lord Stephen, giving the cry, and the tag and bobtail of them all after. Cockerel, Jack Napes, Wilshire, Pill Doctor, Punctual Bloom at heels with a universal grabbing at headgear, ash plants, bilbos, Panama hats and scabbards, Zermatt, Alpenstocks and what not. A detail of lusty youth, noble every student there. Nurse Callan taken aback in the hallway cannot stay them. Nurse smiling surgeon coming downstairs with news of placentation ended. A full pound if a milligram. They hark them on. The door did open. Ha! They are out tumultuously off for a minute's race, all bravely legging it. Burks of Denzel and Hollis, their ulterior goal. Dixon follows, giving them sharp language, but wraps out an oath. He too went on. Bloom stays with Nurse the Thought to send a kind word to Happy Mother, nursling up there. Dr. Diet and Dr. Quiet. Look she too, not other now. Ward of watching in Horn's house has told its tale in that washed-out pallor. 
Them all being gone, a glance of mother wit helping, he whispers close in going, Madam, when comes the stork bird for thee? The air without is impregnated with rain dew moisture, life essence celestial, glistering on Dublin stone there under star shiny chalum. God's air, the old father's air, scintillant, circumambient sessile air. Breathe it deep into thee. By heaven, Theodore Purefoy, thou hast done a dirty deed and no botch. Thou art, I vow, the remarkablest progenitor, barring none in this chaffering, all including most phylogenous chronicle. Astounding. In her lay a God-framed, God-given, preformed possibility, which thou hast fructified with thy modicum of man's work. Cleave to her, serve, toil on, labour like a very band-dog, and let scullament and all Malthusias go hang. Thou art all their daddies, Theodore. Art drooping under thy load, be moiled with butcher's bills at home and ingots not thine in the counting-house. Head up, for every new-begotten thou shalt gather thy home or of ripe wheat. See, thy fleece is drenched. Dost envy Darby Dullman there with his Joan? A canting jay and the rheumite cur-dogs all their progeny. Pshaw, I tell thee, he is a mule, a dead gasteropod, without vim or stamina, not worth a cracked kreutzer. Copulation without population. No, say I. Herod, slaughter of the innocents with a truer name. Vegetables, forsooth, and sterile cohabitation. Give her beefsteaks. Red, raw, bleeding. She is a holy pandemonium of ills. Enlarged glands, mumps, quinsy, bunions, hay fever, bed sores, ringworm, floating kidney, Derbyshire neck, warts, bilious attacks, gallstones, cold feet, varicose veins. A truce to threens and trantles and jeremies and all such congenital defunctive music. Twenty years of it, uh, regret them not. With thee it was not as with many that will and would and wait and never do. Thou sawest thy America, thy life-task, and didst charge to cover like the transpontine bison. How sayest Zarathustra? Dine acut rupsal, melkus du, non trinks to do, di susa milchtesoiters. See? It explodes for thee in abundance. Drink, man, nudafil. Mother's milk purify, the milk of human kin. Milk two of those burgeoning stars overhead, rutilant in thin rain vapour. Punch milk such as those rioters will quaff in their guzzling den. Milk of madness, the honey milk of Canaan's land. Thy cow's dug was tough, what? Aye, but her milk is hot and sweet and fattening. No dollop this, but thick, rich, bonny clabber. To her old patriarch. Pardem patulum et portundum nuncus by bindum. All off for a buster, arms strong, hollering down the street. Bonafides, 
where you slept last night. Timothy of the battered Magan, like old Bileo. Any brollies or gumboots in the family? Where the Henry Neville sawbones and old slow? Sorrow one of me knows. Right there, Dix. Forward the ribbon counter. Where's Punch? All serene. Jay, look at the drunken minister coming out of the maternity hospital. Benedicat vos omnipotens deos pater et filios. And make, mister. The den's a lame, boys. Hell, blast ye, scoot! Right, oh, Isaac, shove him out of the bleeding limelight. Use join us, dear sir. No intrusion in life. Lou, heap good man. Ollie, say me this bunch. On a moment, Miss Alfar. Fire away, number one of the gun. Burks! Thence they advanced five parasangs, slattery's mounted foot. Where's that bleeding offer? Parson Steve, apostate's creed. No, no, Mulligan, a bath there. Shove ahead. Keep a watch on the clock. Chucking out time. Molly, what's on you? Ma mere, ma marie. British Beatitudes! What's on plan, digitally boom boom? Eyes have it to be printed and bound at the Druidrum press by two designing females. Calf covers of pissed on green. Last word in our shades. Most beautiful book come out of Ireland, my child. Silentium! Get a spurt on. Tension! Proceed to nearest canteen and there annex liquor stores. March! Tramp, 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 the boys are... Attitudes! Arching! Beer! Beef! Business! Bibles! Bulldogs! Battleships! Buggery and bishops! Whether on the scaffold high... Beer, beef, trample the Bibles! When for Ireland, dear... Trample the tramplers! Honduration, keep that darn military step! We fall... Bishops, booze box, halt! Heave to, rugger, scrum in, no touch kicking! Oh, my tootsies! You hurt? Most amazingly sorry! Weary! Who's standing this here doom? Well, possessor of damn all. Declare misery. Bet to the ropes. Me, Nancy Salty. No, arrayed up me this week, gone. Yours? Mead of our fathers for the Ubermensch. Ditto. Five number ones. <clears throat> you, sir. Uh, ginger cordial. Chase me, the cabbie's caudal. Stimulate the caloric winding of his ticker. Stop short, never to go again when the old... Absantha for me, savvy? Caramba, have an eggnog or a prairie oyster. Enemy? Avuncular's got my timepiece. Uh, ten to. Uh, obligated, awful. <laughs> Don't mention it. Got a pectoral trauma, eh, Dix? Pause fact. Got bet be a boom bill bee whenever he was sitting sleeping in his bit garden. Digs up near the matter. Buckled he is. Noah's donor? Yup, certain I do. Full of a dewer. See her in our dishy billy. Peels off a credit. Lovey lovekin. None of your lean kind, not much. Pull down the blind, love. Two Ardalons, same here. Look slippery. If you fall, don't wait to get up. Five, seven, nine. Fine. Got a prime pair of mince pies, no kid. And her take me to rests and her anchor of rum. Must be seen to be believed. Your starving eyes and all be plastered neck, you stole my heart, O oh glue pot. Sir, spudding and the room it is. I'll poppycock, you'll excuse me saying, for the high poli. I fear the best of girt wool. Well, Doc, back fro Lapland. Your corporosity sagaciating, okay? How's the squaws and papooses? Woman body after going on the straw? Stand and deliver. Password. There's hair. 
How's the white death and the ruddy birth? I spit in your own eye, boss. Mummer's wire cribbed out of Meredith. Jesified, orchidized, polysimical Jesuit. Anti-mines <laughs> writing par kinch. Baddy bad Stephen lead astray goody good Malachy. <laughs> Call her the mayor, young un. Rune will not be here. Jock bro, Helen Munger, Bally Bree. Lang me your lum reek and your kale pot boil. My tipple. Merci, here's to us. How's that? Leg before wicket, don't stay in my brand new sitinums. Give us a shake of pepper, you there. Catch a halt. Caraway seed to carry away. Twig. Shrieks of silence. Every cove to his gentry mort. Venus Pandemos, Le Petite Femme. My old bad girl from the town of Mullingar. Tell her I was axing at her. Outing Sarah by the wame. On the road to Malahai. Me? If she who seduced me had left but the name. <laughs> what do you want for ninepence? McCree McCrushkeen, smutty mall for a mattress jig. And a pool altogether. Ex. Waiting, Governor. Most deciduously. Bet your boots on. Stunned like seeing as how no shiners is a coming under Constumble. He've got the chink ad lib. Seed near three pound on an spell ago, as said what isn't. Us come right in on your invite, see? Up to you, matey. Out with the youth. Two bar and a wing. You'll learn that go off off they there Frenchy bilks. Won't wash here for nuts know how. Little child, Billy Sully. Is the cutest calacoon down our side. God's truth, Charlie. We are near fur. We're near that fur. Oh, reservoir, Mosso. Thanks, you. Tis sure. What's it? In the speakeasy. Tight. I see you, sure. Bantam, two days TT. Bowsing out but third one. Gan, have a glimp, too. Go on, Jiggard. And been to barber he have. Too full for words. With a railway bloke. How come you so? Opera he'd like. Rose of Castile. Rose of Cast. Police! Some H2O for a gent fainted. Look at Bantam's flowers. Gemini, he's going to holler. A fine boy. My fine boy. Ah, Jesus. Shut his blurry Dutch oven with a firm hand. Had the winner today, till I tipped him a dead cert. The rough and clay, the nab of Stephen Hand has given me the J.D. Coppoline. He strike a telegram boy. Paddock wire, big bug, bastard the depot. Shove him a joey and Graham eyes. Mayor on form, hot order. Guinea to a goosegog. Telegram that. Gospel true. Criminal diversion. I think that, yes. Sure thing. Land him in choky choky if the harm and beck cop the game. Madden. Back maddens a maddening back. Oh, lust, our refuge and our strength. Decamping. Must you go? Off, mummy. Stand by. Hide my blusher, someone. All in if he spots me. Come home, our bantam. Hurry, var, among you. Don't forget the cowslips for ourselves. <laughs> Confide. What give you then, coat, pal to pal? Janok. Of John Thomas, her spouse. No fake, old man Leo. So help me, honest engine. Shiver me timbers if I had. There's a great big holy friar. Why, for you know me tell. Well, I says, if that ain't a sheeny niches, well, I will get Misha Mishin in. Through yard, our Lord. Amen. Amen. You move a motion? 
Steve, boy, you're going at some. More bloody drunkables. Will immensely splendiferous standard permit one stutter of most extreme poverty and one large-sized grandacious thirst to terminate one expensive inaugurated libation? Give us a breather. Landlord, landlord, have you good ones to boo? Hoots, man, weep, drop to pree. Cut and come again. Right, Boniface, absent the lot. Nos omnes viridum toxicum biberemus. Diabolus capiat posteriora nostra. Closing time, gents. Eh? Rumbus for the bloom toff. I hear you say onions. Blue. Catches ads. Photos patly by all that's gorgeous. Lay low, partner. Slide. Bonsoir la company. And snares of the pox fiend. Where's the book of Nambi Ambi? Skunked. Leg bell. Oh, well, you morning gang your gates. Checkmate. King Tatar. Kind Christian, will you help young man whose friend took bungalow key to find place where to lay crown of his head tonight? Crikey, I'm about sprung. Tarnally dug on my shins if this being the bestest, puttiest long break yet. Item curate, couple of cookies for this child. Cuts, blood, and plenty pods. None. Not a pint of cheeses. Thrust syphilis down to hell and with him those other licensed spirits. Time! Who wander through the world. Health all. A la vote. Golly, what in tunkets young guy in the Macintosh? Dusty Rhodes. Peep at his wearables. Why, mighty, what's he got? Jubilee mutton. Bovril by James. What's it real bad? Do you Kim beer sucks? Seedy cuss in the Richmond. Rather. Thought he had a deposit of lead in his penis. Trumpery insanity. Bartle the bread, we calls him. That, sir, was once a prosperous sit. Man all tattered and torn that married a maiden all forlorn. Slung her hook, she did. Here, see, lost love. Walking Macintosh of Lonely Canyon. Tuck and turn in. Schedule time. Nicks for the hornies. Pardon? See him today at Arunafo. Some of your passing his checks. Lot of mercy, poor Piccaninis. There'll nobody tell him a lot. Pulled veg. Did ums blobble, big splash, cry tears, cause friend Padney was took off in black bag. Of all the darkies, Mercy Pat was very best. I never see the lack since I was born. Tiens, tiens. But it is well said, that my faith, yes? Oh, get rev on a gradient, one in nine. Live axle drives are souped. Lay you two to one, Genetsi licks him ruddy well hollow. Jappies, high angle fire in ya, sunk by war specials. Be worse for him, says he, nor any Russian. Time all! There's eleven of them. Get ye gone. Forward! Will's ye wobblers! Night! Night! May Allah, the excellent one, your soul this night ever tremendously conserve. Your attention! We're near that fool. The leith police dismisseth us. The least thalice. Where hawks for the chap puking unwell in his abominable regions? You go. Night! Mona, my true love. You! Mona, my own love. Hark! Shut your obstropolis! Blaze on! There she goes! Again! ship! Mount Streetway! Cut up! Tally ho! You not come? 
Run, skelter, race! Lynch! Hey! Sign on along of me. Denzel Lane, this way. Change here for Bordy House. <laughs> we too, she said, will seek the kips for shady Mary is. Right out. Any old time. Le tour in Kubilibus Suis. You coming long? Whisper. Who the sooty hell's the Johnny and the Black Duds? Hush. Sinned against the light. And even now, that day is at hand when he shall come to judge the world by fire. Flap. Ut implorentor scriptore. Strike up a ballot. Then out spake Medical Dick to his comrade Medical Davy. Christical! Who's this excrement yellow gospeler on the Marion Hall? Elijah is coming, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Come on, you wine-fizzling, gin-sizzling, booze-guzzling existences. Come on, you dog-on, bull-necked, beetle-browed, hog-jowled, peanut-brained, weasel-eyed, four-flushers, false alarms and excess baggage. Come on, you triple-extract of infamy! Alexander J. Christ Dowie, that's my name, that's yanked to glory most half this planet from Frisco Beach to Vladivostok. The deity ain't no nickel-dime bum show. I put it to you that he's on the square and a corking fine business proposition. He's the grandest thing yet, and don't you forget it. Shout salvation in King Jesus. You'll need to rise precious early, you sinner there, if you want to diddle the almighty God. Plap! Not half. He's got a cuff mixture with a punch in it for you, my friend, in his back pocket. Just you try it on!